Good evening, and welcome to Nighttime. This is Dave Wager, your host, and I'm thrilled that you've chosen to be with us for the next half hour. Hopefully during this next half hour, I'll say some things that will stir your thought process and drive you to God. It's really the goal in life, is to enjoy God and to love God. And tonight, if you're disappointed with God, you don't know Him. If you're angry with God, you don't know Him. If you're deciding to live on your own without God, you obviously don't know Him. And your life would show that. You're probably out trying to drown your sorrows or escape from the realities of life rather than embrace them and allow them to have their work in you. I'm often asked from other men how and what I do in order to spend time with God and be intimate with Him and enjoy God. Because one of the questions I like asking other men when I see them is, are you enjoying God? Sometimes I get a quizzical look and sometimes they can answer me directly. But the idea of enjoying God rather than running from Him is new to many. What I've done is I've written some devotional books that basically show at least a way to think as you go through the Bible. Many years ago, when I was younger, I would have my devotions and set aside a certain amount of time and read and think. And yet the reading didn't really do anything. It was kind of like my obligatory half hour or whatever you want to call it with God. So that basically God would bless my day, not strike me with lightning, don't give me cancer today, all that kind of good stuff. I would pray before meals, I would go through the motions. and At my age now, I look back at that and I think, sometimes some of the stuff we do that is good, or we consider good or religious, is just as evil as the evil because it keeps us from doing what we should be doing. I'm not encouraging anybody to stop their devotional time or praying before meals. But when we seek God, we should actually find Him. And when we find Him, it should affect our lives. I remember back in those years, I went and made the decision that I was going to read the Bible every day until something in the Bible struck me. And I could either write it down or apply it, use it immediately in my life somehow. Some days it was a five-minute devotion and it really affected my life and I went on from there. Some days I think it might have taken hours. I can't remember all those days. But it transformed the way I thought. I needed to know what God's Word said. And when I knew what God's Word said, it needed to matter to me. And I needed to adjust my life accordingly. I would suggest that if you're reading the Bible and having a quickie devotions or something like that, that possibly you're missing the point. We read the Bible in order to know God. We read the Bible so that we can know how God made us and respond to it. And if we're not doing those things, 
then the reading of the Bible is not doing its job. Eventually, I wrote a series of books for young men to learn how to get into God's Word and just so that they could see a way that they could process information. The books are all starting with the same title. They're called Beyond Something. The book I want to refer to tonight is the one called Beyond the Deception. It's available if you'd like to go to Relate365.com and get it. The way that these Beyond books were written was so that an individual can go 21 days with it and start to develop a new pattern of thinking. Or they can do this with another individual and talk through each one and have a discussion point that they can start with. So for small groups or for individuals, it's a matter of just getting in God's Word and looking at a way to talk about it and use it until we become people who actually are applying what we know. One of the great dangers of life is the danger of being deceived. And right now in the churches, all churches, there are people there who are not believers who act like believers. I don't know who they are. The reason I don't know who they are is I'm not God. And only God can read the hearts of man and I can have somebody, including myself, go through all the motions on the outside, look like a fine, outstanding Christian citizen in my church and know all the rules and basic procedures that our church uses and be well accepted among my peers. I could still be one who is without Christ and hopeless. See, deep in my heart, I would know for the fruit of not walking with God will be evident to me and the depression and anger and self-centeredness that's constantly displayed or masked. The book of Jude in the Bible and the book of Second Peter are very similar and they talk about false teachers. It's one thing to have false Christians in the church and if people are in the church that are dedicated to themselves, we're in trouble. It's another thing to have deceptive teachers in the church and to accept them as authoritative. We have to remember that Satan in the Bible is called the father of lies and he's really, really, really good at it. And the only way that you can be good at a lie is by being able to lie in a way where people think that you just told the truth. I want to suggest that each one of you needs to be in a position where you have a way to evaluate whatever is said by whoever is in authority at your church so that you know for sure that what they said is true and not a cleverly disguised lie. You might say, well, the people at my church always use the Bible. 
Satan is not beyond using the scriptures for his own advantage and using the scriptures in a very clever way that lies. You can use the truth in a manipulative way that really ends up being a lie and you need to be careful. Satan is really good at what he does, and I would suggest that he even knows the scriptures better than you do. That he knows God better than you do. And that he would do anything that he possibly could to ensure that you stay away from knowing God, loving God, and responding to him. See, the Christian life is really much easier than we make it out to be. It's extremely difficult if you try and do it on your own. But if you give it up, you trust God. You allow Him to be the one that works. All of a sudden, the burden is off of you because you can listen. You can do what's right. You can It's not for you to make the results happen. It's for you to obey God and let Him take care of the results. It's something you actually can do. Well, in these books, the Beyond series and the Beyond the Deception, I thought I would go through and read some thoughts for you. In the introduction, T. Hall said this, As thieves, when they would come and rob a man, draw him aside out of the highway, into some wood and then cut his throat. So this grand deceiver and his agents draw men aside from the right way of God's worship into some bypaths of error to their ruin. The devil is the cheater of cheaters, the deluder of deluders. This is his constant trade. And this is the reason why many false teachers may die with boldness and courage for their opinions because they are blinded and deluded by the devil. They think themselves martyrs when they are grand deceivers and grossly deceived. We had need, therefore, to pray for the spirit of grace and illumination, that we may see the methods, depths, and devices of Satan and avoid them. When you think about what was said there, you realize that this is a very serious problem. Satan is really, really good at what he does. And he only attacks us, believe it or not, in ways that we find acceptable. That's right. You know, I, I wouldn't fall for the temptation of murdering somebody if Satan came to me and said, you need to go murder this person. That's not really a temptation that I think I would fall for. However, if I felt cheated by somebody, maybe I could fall for hating them. Maybe, maybe I can get involved in something in life that obsesses me so that I don't have time for the relationships in my life. After all, the activities that I'd be involved in aren't evil or wrong. You see, Satan knows in my life what I find acceptable, and he will use what I find acceptable to create a delusion 
Let me give you an example. Recently, at my age, in my early 60s, I decided to learn something new. I did a couple things this year, and one of them is to begin to hunt. In our part of the country, Thanksgiving is hunting week. In fact, our local school district gives the entire week off for those who want to hunt. It's a big deal. Now, I grew up in Chicago, so I didn't hunt. When I came up north, I thought I would, but it was a little bit scary holding those big guns and walking in the woods with a bunch of people with loaded weapons. Perhaps it was my Chicago upbringing that made me think that maybe I shouldn't be out here with all these people with guns. My daughter got married recently, and her husband, my son-in-law, is a hunter and talked about it with much enthusiasm. And I thought, maybe it's time to learn something new. And as I mentioned that to a few friends, one of my friends gave me a crossbow. And so now I have joined the hunting ranks. I have yet to have any success at hunting, but I've joined the hunting ranks. For a while, I hunted with my normal outfit on. I had a black jacket, regular jeans, and would go out and kind of sit and wait for the deer to walk by. Obviously, this was not a good plan, I was told. So one day, my son-in-law and my daughter come and visit, and she presents me with a camouflage jacket which I could now combine with the camouflage pants that my son-in-law gave me. When I was talking to the friend who gave me the crossbow, he said, please do not hunt in a black jacket. I thought, okay. You see, what, what I want to do is I want to be in a position where the deer don't see me and where I sit quietly and where, when they walk by me, they think they're walking in a safe place. And when they walk by, and they're within range, I get to shoot an arrow at them. And all of a sudden, without them even understanding where it came from, without them knowing what just hit them, they're mortally wounded. They try and escape, but they don't know even where to go, and eventually they fall over dead. Now, that's a great example of Satan, but the story I have is more related to what my wife said about hunting. She warned me. She said, Dave, don't get obsessed with hunting. She said that for good reason. You see, hunting isn't evil in our part of the country. It's good. It's a way to provide meat for your family. It's a way to get out with other people and enjoy the woods. You have to sit there in quiet. And there's a lot of people who love God that sit in the woods. And even if they don't see anything, they've enjoyed their time with God. That's a good thing. 
but you can get so into hunting that you spend thousands and thousands of dollars doing it. You start leaving the relationships that are important to you and start sitting in the woods chasing deer. The same can happen with fishing or sports. You see, these things that are not necessarily bad can become something that draw us away from the most important things in life. And really, that's how Satan works. He won't come after me in order for me to overtly choose to ignore the most important relationships in my life so that I can hunt the deer. If he presented it to me that way, I would reject it. He didn't present it to me that way. You see, Satan loves to just mess with our heads. I know that in your life right now, there are things that you have in your life that are totally acceptable. There is nothing evil about you can fill in the blank. But these activities are keeping you from the most important things in life. I was talking to a young man that I'm mentoring and I was talking to him about decisions that he's going to make in the future. Decisions of um, a job, decisions of uh, who to marry, and those um, very important decisions that he's in the stage of life making. I warned him that from the beginning to set out in his mind what's important in life and to make sure that the decisions that are made in life revolve around what he understands to already be important. When I was in college, I made the decision to go into education. I wanted to be a teacher. Not only did I think that my personality was bent that way, and did I know that I enjoyed teaching children. More importantly, I was involved in a ministry called Silver Birch Ranch, a summer camp up in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. I was from Chicago. This was about a five to six hour drive. And every summer I would go up there and serve. The ministry of Silver Birch Ranch had a tremendous impact on my personal life and on the lives of those young people that I brought up. There was something right about taking children from the city to a place where they had to be in the woods seeing God's creation, and then confronting them with the love of God. In fact, as I ran a youth club in Chicago area, we used to have a goal of each youth leader going to camp for a week or two, taking time off work to do that, and bringing five young people from our youth work with us and having them find one each, so five others that they could bring with them that did not know Jesus. Then I would have the privilege of going up and being their counselor, riding horses and swimming and canoeing and rafting with eight, nine, 10, 12 year old boys and their friends, opening the Bible with them and sharing God's love. 
in all those years, I never saw a child who came to camp under that environment not respond to the gospel. I saw Christian camping as a tremendous tool. And I wanted to be involved in it the rest of my life. So when I was making a decision to go into a certain profession, I chose teaching. I thought I was bent towards teaching. I loved teaching children. And it would give me the summers off, yet it would give me enough salary where I wouldn't be a burden to the ministry. You see, I was able to make a decision that allowed me to continue to do the things that I thought was important. I, I know there's other factors that are involved that, that maybe people would look at money more, whatever it might be, but even the Apostle Paul in the Bible was a tent maker. He saw that the job that he had was there to care for his physical needs, but he did other things. His tent making allowed him to write a lot of the scriptures, teach in the synagogue. You see, what happens a lot of times is that Satan enters somehow into our lives and begins to whisper logic and reason over God's Word. And when I say logic and reason, I think that the Bible is logical and reasonable, but there is human logic and human reason that we have that's very anemic, that we often use apart from God's Word, and He appeals to that. The truth of the matter is that nobody will ever be able to trust their money or their time or their talent, their nation, their government, their health. All of those things are going to change, and they're going to change beyond our control many times. So we need to be people who are in a position to make decisions based on what is true and right and good. And Satan likes to play with that. He likes to make sure that what we consider good and right, that he controls that instead of us. In the book of Jude, the first chapter, obviously, verses three and four, it says, Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Are there false teachers in my church? What do they look like? What do they sound like? Satan is good at what he does, and it seems that he has planted his covert agents within the power structures of the local church. For these people to thrive, 
They need an environment that will allow their ideas to grow and slowly take over the thought processes of the unsuspecting. The book of Jude gives us insights into what these people look like, what they say, what's important to them. I need to be careful as I read this book of scripture, not to just be on the lookout for those who are characterized by Jude, but to ask if I too exhibit some of these dangerous characteristics. The first trait that seems evident, those who are deceived, those who are false teachers have never really grasped the true meaning of salvation. When we place our trust in Christ, we are not just saved from an eternity in hell. We are not just saved to be with Christ in heaven. In fact, our salvation allows us to live different lives now. Our salvation has freed us from the penalty of our sins. It has freed us from the power of sin in our lives today. And it will one day free us from the very presence of sin. False teachers do not understand this. In fact, they live lives that are no different from those that are non-Christians in the world around them. When they are confronted, they talk of God's grace as if his grace were a license for evil. These false teachers may talk about the importance of relating to a non-Christian world in order to reach non-believers with the gospel. But the gospel of which they speak has no transformative power. It is not the gospel of Christ. Rather, it is the good news of self-centeredness or self-absorption and of attempting to make this type of lifestyle acceptable or even admirable to God. The first and most important characteristic to recognize in a false teacher is the justification of sin. Sin is never acceptable to the one who truly loves God. One who claims that the grace of God excuses sinful behavior and who encourages others to believe the same and continue in their sinful ways is doing the work of Satan, not God. Where do you stand? Do you really hate sin? Or do you make provision and excuses for it? Do you listen to people who justify their actions or those who will recognize evil and cry out to God for mercy as they move away from the evil? We are warned about false teachers because they do exist. I guess my prayer would be, God, help me know that I am not one of them. Really, in a, a summary kind of statement, we could say that freedom comes from obedience. Obedience comes from the fear of God, and the fear of God comes from knowing Him. It is hard to deceive somebody who actually has truth in them and is living in the truth and is immersed in truth. You do know that when they train people to look for counterfeit dollar bills, they don't show them all the ways that people counterfeit the bills. They show them what an original looks like and anything that doesn't look like that is wrong. I really don't need to know what all the cults of the world believe in. 
I don't need to know every way that people have taken scripture and turned it and twisted it. I do not need those who are the ungodly of the world setting my agenda for me. I need to know the truth. And the truth is what sets me free. The truth is what gives me hope. But the truth is something that challenges my life. It doesn't always affirm it. If I am living in a bubble, then everything that I read and everything that I'm concerned about keeps affirming the things in my life rather than challenging them. And if somebody challenges my life, I usually move away from them and go to somebody who affirms my life. Thus, fertile soil for false teachers who can tell us what we want to hear and the way that we want to hear it so that we're people who unknowingly possibly believe things that will destroy rather than believe things that are true and build the body of Christ. Once again, I'm taking thoughts from the book called Beyond the Deception, Learning to Defend the Truth. If you'd like your own copy of this book, you can get it at relate365.com. And I would suggest that you do and that you go through it 21 days and just think about each of the chapters. The book has a little spot where you can journal your thoughts after each one, and that's important. Thank you for joining me tonight on Nighttime. This is Dave Wager from the leadership team at Relate365.com on the campuses of Silver Birch Ranch.org. Good night.